Welcome to the Sam Says Podcast. I'm Samantha Oldsfry, the CEO of the Illinois Association of Medicaid Health Plans, also known as IMHIP. In this podcast, we focus on all things surrounding the Illinois Medicaid Managed Care Program. Welcome to the Sam Says Podcast. I'm the Sam and Sam Says, and today I'm thrilled to welcome back Andrew Shadid, CEO of Genesis Orthopedics orthopedics and sports medicine, and I'm a trusted partner and regular guest on our podcast to talk about how they continually work to improve health equity and access right here in Illinois. Andrew, welcome back. Thanks, Sam. It's great to be here. And I'm really looking forward to today's conversation because so often health equity, improving access, you know, helping folks recover is always sort of talked about, but you guys are on the ground in the Medicaid space doing that. So it's more than just talking, it's actual action. And so for those of you who may not be familiar, Andrew in Genesis Orthopedics and Sports Medicine is working at the intersection of orthopedics and health equity and providing access and care to about 25% of Illinois residents on Medicaid and Medicare, which is huge because this is a specialty that really has some access issues for folks on health care that's supported by the government. Can you just sort of level set Andrew, with the work you're doing in this space, the sort of the challenges you face, but why you think it's so critical? Yeah, definitely. Thanks, Sam, and thanks for acknowledging the action side of things. I think we we all feel that where you know health equity is is talked about, it's discussed, and then the question is who's going to do something about it. It's actually you know probably is best to share a little bit about our story. Uh, about seven years ago, we have had what we call a values crisis. Uh, you know, maybe not all too different from a psychological crisis or something something else similar, uh, in which you know we were faced with this conundrum. Uh, I had asked our front desk staff to just do a little experiment and tell me how many people that they were sending away from our office every day as a administrator in the medical you know field. Uh, it's very easy to tell who's on your schedule, but it's very difficult to to understand who never got on it, right? And so uh, we had several uh, days of this experiment where we'd ask them, hey, when people call, I want you to write down who we're not booking appointments for and why. Now, I was expecting, you know, as a boutique sports medicine practice that did a lot of treatment for professional athletes and had a high level of subspecialization that we we're turning away people maybe with low back pain that we didn't necessarily do surgery on, or we were turning people away because they want an appointment today and our first available was in three weeks from now. Uh, And they weren't willing to wait and so they wanted to go elsewhere. Uh, But when I got that report at the end of the day and our staff shared that the people that were turning away are actually patients that were not contracted with their insurance plan. And I had figured, oh, you know, it's probably a, a narrow network HMO that we're not participating in. Uh, but, you know, so be it. Maybe they just called the wrong number. And they actually said, no, that's not that's not the issue. It's not narrow network HMOs. It's actually Medicaid managed care that we're turning away. And uh, we had a statement in our practice that said every patient is valuable. It, it's in our founding documents, in our handbook, in our values that say every patient is valuable. 
uh, every human is valuable, you know, more precisely. And on one hand, that's what we say. But when we actually looked at what we did, we turned away dozens of humans every every day. And it was ironic to to say one thing in our handbook that every human is valuable, but to live out a different reality. Of live, we lived out a reality that said only some people were valuable, only the upwardly mobile or the individuals whose parents were college educated or had white collar jobs or made $100,000 or more per year or so on and so forth, right? It, and we lived a different reality. And that challenged us. So I drove home, you know, one of those nights after receiving that report saying, what am I, you know, what am I doing with my life? Am I living integrously to who I was raised to be and who, and, and really what our values are? And on that day, we decided we have to make a change. Something's got to change. Uh, we've, we've either got to change our values or we've got to change our protocol. We've got to change who we accept, who are the patients that we accept. And it wasn't too long thereafter that we were, we were contracted with, at the time, all seven MCOs uh, and accepting all of their patients. And our practice went from a little less than 1% Medicaid to now today where it is over about 60% Medicaid. Uh, in the practice, not losing any of the commercial patients, but just adding dozens and dozens, hundreds of patients that needed care from the Medicaid population that uh, that we knew that we had to serve. Uh, you you referenced again earlier, what is it about action? And, and we thought to ourselves a lot at that point, like, who can we blame for this problem, right? We could should we blame the governor or the legislature? Should we blame large health systems that maybe we felt had the resources to take care of this population? You know, we, at the time we were a single physician, small practice with one office. Uh, but as we're, you know, reminded by like, would it be Margaret Mead or, you know, others who say, hey, the only way that things change and when, when a small group of people who believe in the vision actually do it. I, I'm reminded of a quote by Jack Dorsey the founder of Twitter, who, who makes a comment, and he says, uh, entrepreneurs are people that see the future. They see what the future looks like, but then they proceed to create it themselves. They don't just see the future. That's like a fortune teller. You know, that's, that's what they do. But true people who are involved in entrepreneurial initiatives, and in this case, a social entrepreneurial initiative, then see the vision and proceed to create it. And so we felt like, you know, we could live our whole lives pointing our finger at other people. Uh, and really being part of the status quo, which was a problem for a quarter of our population, or we can attempt to be actors and be change agents and actually develop something that, that might be better. And while our solution isn't perfect, you know, I would argue that none is, uh, we believe that moving towards equity, like actually physically moving our bodies towards equity, moving our thoughts towards equity, uh, and our, our practice policies towards equity are really what has generated the momentum uh, to believe that this is something that's possible to deliver everyone in the state of Illinois uh, in, or to ensure everyone in the state of Illinois has equal access to orthopedic care. I love that. I love it so much. And it really leads into my next question, because I think our listeners could hear this and think, oh my gosh, Andrew is one of the good guys. And he is, he absolutely is, but he he did this and not only was it the right thing to do i mean i think we can all underscore this just a million times that this was the right thing to do on a human level 
Um, it was the right thing to do from a, you know, a neighborhood and from a community. Uh, and obviously, our greater good was improved significantly by Andrew and uh, Genesis Orthopedics, increasing who they would provide care to. But why I want to sort of talk about this more is like, not only was it the right thing to do, not only was it a good thing to do, it was a good business thing to do. Because as you sort of talked about, Andrew, you didn't lose commercial patients, you grew as a business. And in fact, you have been named twice as one of the Inc. 5000 fastest growing privately held companies in the US in 21 and in 22. You are far larger now than that one, you know, one location, one physician office that you sort of started out as. Can you just sort of talk about that and how your actions of sort of doing the right thing about really putting equity into action, not only was it a good, you know, sort of moral ethical thing to do, it was a good business thing to do too. Definitely. You know, and uh, while we have continued to grow and, and, you know, we actually just found out that we would be awarded uh, Inc. 5000 for 2023 as well, which is another exciting, you know, piece here. Uh, it wasn't without hardship. Our first year that we took this vision on, we actually had negative cash flows, you know, and we, we you know, some people would call that they lost money in, in the first year of taking this on, which is true. We saw way more patients than we could have imagined, and we didn't have the right model to do it. So it recall, required innovating our model significantly. Uh, but as we innovated, you know, in the model, and, and the model, uh, you know, innovation was inspired by a professor that I'd had at Dartmouth named Vijay Govindarajan, uh, who wrote a book called Reverse Innovation in Healthcare. And I would recommend that, you know, everyone that's in healthcare uh, get their hands on this book because it's it's a fascinating way to think about the needs of the underserved. It, it talks about several case studies from around the world, uh, from more cash-strapped, resource-poor, you know, uh, locations, countries than the United States. Uh, where they're delivering care in some cases to billions of people, right? If you take a place like India um, or China, where billions of people need care, right? More than three times the size of the United States uh, and more people in poverty. And thinking about how do you expand a health healthcare system? How do you create a healthcare system that can serve that many people uh, in you know in one in one geography? And they basically found that, well, it's got to be accessible, it's got to be affordable. And so they reverse engineer the processes uh, for that population. Oftentimes, when we do innovation in Western contexts or places like the U.S., we actually invent for the rich and then, you know, take the products that we developed for the rich and strip them down uh, and then give those products to the poor. And some cases that that works and it, and it works okay. But what we most often see is that uh, the poor end up getting, you know, some people would say shafted. They get the less quality product for, uh, you know, maybe it's only 10% of the quality, but they still pay 50% of the cost. And so over the long haul, they're actually needing to replace that product or service that they, they get more frequently. Uh, it's not as durable. It's not as, uh, as um, valuable. Uh, and, and they only pay half as much for it or something to that degree. And we realized, actually, that's that's not possible. In the populations that we work in, uh, you know, our patients 
they like can't afford to take a week off work or two weeks off work. Like they, they need to go back to work tomorrow, right? So how do we do surgery that allows them to do that, to go back to work tomorrow? Or how do we, uh, how do we help people get better in ways uh, that fit their context, that fit the cost structure, uh, not necessarily what they can afford, but right what their insurance can afford, you know, being on Medicaid. And so we had to employ these concepts called reverse innovation uh, to healthcare, innovating from the perspective of really those on the bottom of those in this Medicaid community and design a healthcare system around them. So one of the things, you know, that, that we employed is proximity, that it's really difficult for patients to get to an office in the western suburbs, right, which is where we had, had been located. And, and frankly, it's really difficult for people to even take a lot of public transportation sometimes. And sometimes insurance transportation can be unreliable or difficult to set up. And so we figured, okay, well, we need to be actually in everyone's neighborhood, you know, so we want to be, you know, a goal of our practice is we want to be within a 20 minute walk uh, of everyone, you know, that would be fantastic. Um, for those that can't walk, you know, those people can take some type of transportation, but at least it's a couple bus stops or a couple, you know, L stops away. It's not um, something where they're sitting for an hour, hour and a half, two hours, you know, trying to get to where they're going. But employing concepts like this allowed us to really create a model that works for this population that's different, it's unique. It's not taking what worked for the wealthy and saying, oh, just try this on on this population. It's actually inventing from the bottom. And when you do that, you really unlock a whole new, really a whole new market. If, you know, we're talking about the business win uh, here, there's 25% of the population in Illinois that needs service. They need orthopedic service. They need healthcare services. Uh, it, it's, you know, in some ways, people would say it's a captive market, right? It's like, it's there. There, you know, while there's a little bit of transience, uh, it's, it's, more often than not geographically defined. Um, it's more often than not uh, defined as to what those services are that are needed. And so if we can unlock the models that do provide great care, uh, there's a population sitting and waiting that needs it. And uh, I think the uniqueness that we have to some degree is that our first in driver is that we want all people to have access to care. Once we challenged ourselves in that way, that all people, like that's the goal, all people, not some people, not Blue Cross Commercial, not Work Comp, right? Not uh, United Healthcare, like everyone. We, When we say everyone, we mean the undocumented patient. We mean the single mom uh, that's, that doesn't have Medicaid yet, but is trying to apply for it. We mean the people that have been on Medicaid for 10 years, the MCOs, you know, no matter what MCO you're a part of. Uh, you know, if you're not yet on managed care, those people too, like we really mean everyone. Uh, and as that becomes our driving focus, we are forced then to create a system that works for everyone. And, you know, as, as we did that, I, you know, granted the profit margin is not anywhere close to as high as it is for other, you know, peer practices of ours that, that don't see the Medicaid population. Uh, you know, we we struggle in, in some ways, uh, you know, comparatively, but because we are uh, are so laser focused on on the mission, we're forced to make it work and um, it's non-negotiable. And so, you know, over the last half decade, we've just had to grind to, to make a system that does work for everyone. Oh, I love that, Andrew. And, and I want to 
I'm going to make an assumption here that hopefully you can elaborate on. I assume that value-based contracting is a part of how you make it work. It definitely is. And, you know, it's, it's actually a, a newer piece to our model uh, in, in terms of value-based contracting. I think as, as we've grown our footprint, uh, we can add more, more scaled value to CMCOs. It's funny, I, I remember reaching out on several occasions to like Blue Cross Community or to County Care early on when we had one office in St. Charles. And it's it's funny how just the presence of having three or four locations caused someone to want to listen that previously didn't have a huge reason to. And I think that that's one of the lessons, you know, that we learn while individuals are extremely important. Each care that, that a group like ours provides to one patient is important sometimes to gain the ear of of those who can employ systemic change, you need to show that you uh, that you have scalable impact, and um, that a decision that they're going to spend an hour, you know, making won't just impact five members, but will impact you know ten thousand members or twenty thousand members. Like those are the things that that they're listening to. And I, as we've grown, our opportunity for value-based care has grown alongside it. Oh, I love that so much. And I think it is so critical. And that is because like from the, the plan perspective, there is a cost associated with value-based contracting. And it is operationally far more difficult, right, than just loading a provider as a traditional provider and we pay your claims. And so if you can only serve five patients or, you know, it's such a limited scale it just might not make financial sense for the plan, but also for the provider because there's just more work involved. And so once you can demonstrate that scalability, you're really off to the races. And I'm so glad that you, you know, took those steps because our program in Illinois is better because of it. Members are getting the care that they need. We're innovating. We're on the forefront of so much. And, you know, there's, there's a lot before us, you know, there's still a lot we want to tackle and there's improvement that can absolutely be made, but we wouldn't have gotten there if you hadn't just done that simple study or, you know, I'm going to call it a study, but really just exercise of who are we turning away? And I think that is something I want to leave our listeners with is the idea that we have to be purposeful, that our society and that our inequity does not go away simply because we mean well. We have to really take a look at it and we have to understand what's going on and then we have to dive into the barriers and we have to come up with solutions. And we have to recognize that some of our initial solutions might need tinkering in order to get to success. But as you see with Andrew and with Genesis, when you take on that challenge, you not only improve our community, but you reap really positive and impactful benefits. And so, Andrew, I'm just so grateful that you have joined us for this amazing conversation. But more than that, I'm grateful for all you've done to improve health equity and access for Medicaid members here in Illinois. Thanks, Sam. And, you know, I, I couldn't agree more that it's important to be willing to dip your toe in the water. And so many people have been afraid historically of, and I remember a, a specific comment that we had gotten from one individual. And I tell the story, you know, with some frequency, but uh, I remember uh, them saying, you know, Andrew, if you guys start taking Medicaid, your practice will get run over by Medicaid members and you will close within a year. 
And I just remember that as, as a challenge to me, a challenge to our practice to say, oh, heck no, we're not going to let this happen. You know, if, if uh, we, can, we can continue to deliver equitable care. And so many people in the world are looking for other people to solve their problems, right? We're looking for, uh, for other people to, to fix what doesn't work. And we, you know, we have a lot of things to say, but, but rarely, uh, rarely we'll actually jump into the messy pot uh, and, and choose to wait around it in ourselves um, exploring, you know, where the problems are and, and also developing a reputation uh, for someone to be listened to uh, whose voice should be listened to because, because we're willing to get our hands dirty. And so, you know, my encouragement to others out there that would be, you know, similar to Genesis or, you know, have ideas would be the exact thing. Jump in because until you jump in, it'll be hard for anyone to take you seriously. Uh, but once you do, you know, your ideas and your voice will, will go a long way if you're willing to, to commit, you know, commit yourself to the solution. Oh, I love that. Let's end there. Jump in. Help us improve health equity. Thank you, Andrew, for your time. To our listeners, to learn more about I Am Hip and to listen to other interesting podcasts like this one, we encourage you to visit our website at imhip.org. You can also learn more about becoming a trusted partner like Genesis Orthopedics and Sports Medicine on our website. And of course, don't forget to like, like and follow us and Genesis Orthopedics and Sports Medicine on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. I'm Samantha Oldsfry. The Sam and Sam says, thanks for joining us. And until next time, be well and stay safe.